Former Disney star Sabrina Carpenter pranced around the sanctuary of a Brooklyn Catholic church as part of a music video for her latest song. It was exactly as bad as it sounds. The most surprising part of the story? The bishop took care of business. Within 48 hours, Brooklyn Bishop Robert Brennan removed the pastor, took the money paid for the shoot, and donated it to a pregnancy center, and even held a massive reparation. Could this be a learning opportunity for other bishops? Meanwhile, we had another disappointing election night, as Ohio enshrined abortion up to the second of birth by a wide margin, 56% to 43%. Hardcore liberals popped champagne, while some Republicans urged the party to drop abortion as a losing issue. Is it time for pro-lifers to rethink their post-Roe strategy? And predictably, white YouTuber Mr. Beast received criticism from activists for building 100 wells in Africa. Maybe you can guess why. All this and more on this week's edition of The Loopcast. <sighs> Welcome back to The Loopcast. Today, joined as always by Erica and Josh. And you may be listening to this on your normal platform, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, etc., but people on YouTube will be seeing this for the first time on the new Loopcast YouTube channel. So hopefully you've moved over from the Catholic Vote channel. This is where Loopcast will live going forward. Our Thursday panel episodes and our Tuesday interviews will be posted to this channel. Just look up the Loopcast on YouTube. You should find it. Send us a subscribe if you want to support us. Keep seeing us. We really appreciate it. That being said, we have uh, a Disney child star, church sacrilege, and bishops. Uh, keeping people accountable. It's quite the Mad Lib we have this week, but it's a really, really interesting story. And we have the full circle. I haven't really seen the full circle really in- talked about in its entirety. So we have today, the start, we have a music video kind of gone wrong, Erica. Uh, what happened at the Blessed Virgin Mary Church in Brooklyn? Yeah, talk about gone wrong. But I do want to frame it, like you said, this is in the context of watching bishops actually bishops. So I was. this is a good story. Starts off dark, though, for sure. Uh, Disney star, former Disney child star Sabrina Carpenter filmed her latest music video to her song Feather um, in, the, uh, in the sanctuary of Annunciation of the Blessed Virgin Mary Church in Brooklyn. Brooklyn, it's a beautiful historical church. It was built by Lithuanian immigrants, and she's up there dancing super provocatively in skimpy clothing. There's a bottle of fake blood on the altar. They took the baptismal font and they put an obscenity on it for the opening shot of the film. I mean, it was bad news. But the bishop, we actually saw action within 24 hours. He was in there. He's like, I'm going to investigate, figure out how this happened. The pastor was removed immediately. Nice. And just last night, just just as we were hitting record, the story broke that he uh, he, he is removed. He is not there. He is not in charge anymore. Uh, Monsignor, who's actually really kind of influential in this Brooklyn diocese, he issued an apology. Jamie, I'm going to slaughter the Italian name, Monsignor Gigantiello. Gigantiello, right? Gigantiello. (laughs) He said that that, uh, he he did, in fact, accept a $5,000 payment from the music video makers to use his location. So... 40 pieces of silver, anyone, but he apologized. He said, I had no idea that this kind of scene would be filmed in the church. And uh, in reparation, they are going to donate that $5,000 location fee um, from the making of this blasphemous video. 
to a pro-life pregnancy center in College Point. So yeah, good ending. But if I could clarify, everyone's question was, how the heck did this happen? And in the investigation, they did come up with what was presented and how it actually did come about, right? Yeah. So the bishop's office, the diocesan office, did say that they obtained the original contract for the $5,000 and that the scene that was actually filmed that we, you can see in the music video, I would not recommend you go look at it. Um, it's very, it, it's totally sacrilegious and demonic. But I, the original scene, the way it was described, was was different in the contract from what was filmed. Nevertheless, the bishop did come out and say, even the less offensive scene described in the contract should never have taken place in a Catholic church. Um, it, it, he's just like, there. there's no way, yeah, maybe the pastor was deceived a little bit, but this was just stunning. And certainly, it's still a mystery how a priest of the Catholic Church could possibly think that this was a good idea. That Sabrina Carpenter was going to come in there and say a few prayers, and that was going to be the extent uh, of the music right. video. Like, yeah, like, the yeah. Contra- I don't even know the contract mentioned her name, but like the whole thing is, you need assurances that there's got not going to be any funny business. You know that you know you just can't. I mean, why would we be surprised that there would be Hollywood? people that would kind of obscure the truth and 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 not really be upfront about what they're doing respect the eucharist and the altar yeah yeah i kind of laugh about this too because like i you know i've been to a decent amount of weddings and you see how strict they are with people shooting catholic weddings beautiful catholic weddings on photography or video how strict they are with where they can go what they could do are they reverent are they not reverent i mean people like to push the boundaries there of course not as far as what happened here but like to see I actually really appreciate that the bishop made a really strong statement here with removing him because that shows that there's actual accountability. And I'm just really tired with a lot of people as well of like no real. So someone does something wrong and they just get shifted around or they have to issue a public policy and then nothing really changes. That person's still there. And then you hear of another mistake six months. Or you hear something like, hey, I didn't know it was going to be this bad. Or I, I, you know, yes, that might be true that you had no idea. I mean, that you had a full knowledge that this pop tart was going to do this horrible thing in the in inside of the church. I mean, if you had full knowledge of everything that would be, and then you still said yes, that would be totally egregious. I assume yes. By the contract, they're kind of like kind of playing around with the words and kind of bsing it. But you're right, mm-hmm. Catholic the Catholic faithful in the pews have had so many body blows against us, so many scandals that you're right. It is so refreshing actually that we have a situation of accountability and that we have a bishop saying no this is not cool and heads are going to roll and you know what this is your punishment you got to be removed uh it sends a message you know what and people like oh i mean this drives me crazy i'm growing catholic 46 years all this stuff like catholics we get you know, we get all this, this bad rap for being, you know, oh, the Vatican is control everything and you have this hierarchy and the cracking of the whip and got to make sure. It's like, are you kidding me? Like, we have like the least. What whip? What, what crack? What punishment? <laughs> I mean, it's like the most lax situation ever. I mean, it's like, you know, the opposite of Singapore. In Singapore, you chew the bubble gum, they, they cane you. Like, oh, yeah, I left it on the sidewalk. And in a Catholic <laughs> church, we're like, I mean, you shouldn't have done that. I guess that was the bad, whatever. Maybe and they right. have a bishop do well, it. I like, love that the bishop. People are so yeah. thirsty for like authority. Like we have this authority, and it's like finally, like maybe we should exercise it every once in a while. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, and he showed up. He showed up like the next day and did a whole mass of reparation with the stripping of the altar, the blessing, get those demons out of there. It was it was super super refreshing. We're calling it right and, now. Here all of the month. Yeah. Boom. Uh, go Brooklyn. <laughs> yeah. And and I just want to say too, I looked this up, but the Brooklyn Diocese has been a focal point for these violent vandalism attacks on Catholic churches. I mean, there have been seven attacks in that diocese alone. So this this bishop has been dealing with this desecration of our holy places in his diocese uh, to the nth degree for the last few years. So shout out to him for just getting on this and and taking action and using his authority as the spiritual father of that diocese um, to step in and send a message, like he said. This is the important thing to remember that bishops are not supposed to be CEOs. They're not supposed to be middle managers. They're supposed to be shepherds. Like you are supposed to act in persona Christi. You are supposed to emulate the, our chief shepherd. And that means you are a servant of servants. And ultimately, yes, that sometimes, like, you know, there's the, all the wristbands that were popular 20 years ago. What would Jesus do? And, you know, the idea was he'd be nice. He would be kind. He would give you hugs. Did, he would do whatever you did want. Did you wear one of those, Josh? Were you a WWJD? I guy? never wore. I, I don't. I'm not a jewelry guy. I'm just not Italian <laughs> enough, I guess. But um, the thing is, like sometimes, what would Jesus do? Well, sometimes he would get mad and flip over a table and yell at people. Yeah. Like that's sometimes it happened, and because that's what you know justice demanded. It does remind me so much of that of the Bible passage about Jesus taking people out of the temple, kicking people out of the temple, like the. Uh, what was happening in the church with Sabrina Carpenter reminded me so much of like you're mm-hmm. turning this holy place into a circus, basically, yeah. and it's just that's we not really need to a gospel of we need a gospel of of James Martin where he would come into that scene and scold Jesus for doing that. Like mm, that's very angry. We need to be nicer <laughs> than that, you know. Just he go through hard, hard to say it's not very Christ like to Christ. Yeah, wouldn't that, that be, be great? Hard. That'd be hilarious. <laughs> Yeah, but I feel like that's kind of how it's being weaponized now. It's just, it's just a rhetorical weapon. It has nothing, no attachment to the actual person of Christ. And it reminds me too of uh, Archbishop uh, Cordelion out in um, San Francisco, like what he did with Nancy Pelosi. I mean, again, making a mockery of receiving Jesus Christ. He said, "No, it's not going to happen here." That's an example of exercising that. That was his authority on that one, and he did it in like the most gentle way. Right? He's like, "I'm not excommunicating you," which is what we did. To segregationist uh, judges and politicians in Louisiana in the late six, you know, in the sixties, he's like, I would prefer if you do not present yourself to communion. It's not even like any priest who I find out who gives communion to you is going to be removed, or I'm going to excommunicate you. It's the the gentlest of things, right? And what and what happened as a fallout? Unfortunately, not much, except. The bishop in San Diego scolding Cordelione for doing it, and Francis saying, "Oh, thank you for scolding him. Now I'm going to make you a cardinal." San Diego, San Diego's got a cardinal, but not Los Angeles. It's just outrageous to me. Politics. That's a. But that's a nerve. I'm, I'm, I, yeah, I know. Can you tell? I get angry nerve. about this, but I, I <laughs> I'm not going to lose sight of this. The bishop of Brooklyn. I want to give you the a thousand thank yous. There are so many Catholics in this country that have been starving for a, a leader, a shepherd to say it. And you know what? 
We want our bishops and we want our priests to stand up and be strong and courageous because we need the encouragement too. Like, I'm not pretending I'm perfect. Like, I need the help. Like, get up there and tell us how we ought to act. Call us to our, you know, biblical command. Help us understand how we should live our lives according to Jesus. So, yes, we are so thankful to this bishop in Brooklyn. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And interesting, interesting tie-in to our next story. Uh, Bishop Robert Brennan, Bishop of Brooklyn. Uh, Prior to this assignment in Brooklyn, he was the Bishop of Columbus, Ohio. Brings us right to other bishops doing things. Next story, when we talk about our bishops doing things, we had uh, Ohio, and we saw the results this week. Of course, very discouraging. Uh, Erica has specific numbers for me, but not good. Yeah, so issue one passed in Ohio. This has been top of mind for everyone at Catholic Vote. We've been putting boots on the ground there. We saw a lot of uh, support from the Catholic Conference in Ohio. There was a real effort to defeat this, what I call abortion on steroids amendment to their state constitution. It, was, it wasn't just about abortion. It went so beyond. It, it goes now, unfortunately, so far beyond just unlimited abortion access. It goes into parents can no longer, they, they no longer have the final you know, say or any say in their minor children's reproductive trans surgeries, transitioning. I mean, it's a, it's, this amendment attacks not only human life, but also the cradle of human life, which is the family. So it's, it's a real tragedy for the state of Ohio. The final count wasn't even close, unfortunately. People voting to, uh, to install, install this amendment, uh, 56.6% of voters, the no's were at just 43.4%. So we're talking over, over 10%, we're double digits here, uh, loss. And so it was discouraging in, fight of, in spite of the best efforts. Natural next question, why? Why, why did this lose so badly if this is a steroid bill? It's important to realize happened. that, you know, as a country, we're a 50-50 country pretty much. I mean, like 50%, you know, Republican, 50%. You know, we have these presidential elections that have been very, very tight. 2016, 2020 have been, both been very close. And 2024 looks like it also will be a very, very close election. And we have shifts in the different coalitions. So it used to be that Ohio was a very purple state, like very close, like whoever won Ohio was going to become the next president. In 2004, it was the state to win. If you won Ohio, you won the presidency. So Bush wins Ohio narrowly and becomes president. And if John Kerry had just gotten a few more votes, things would have went the other way, right? So it was a total swing state. Now it's not. Now it's considered a red state. And so people are like, well, if it's a red state, it's a Republican state, it's a conservative state, we should win this abortion thing. And it's like, well, hold on a second. That doesn't mean that that's not, that's not so easy. It's not like it's Idaho. It's not like it's, you know, Utah or something like that. It's still a state where, you know, I would expect if, let's say, Trump's the nominee or DeSantis' nominee, either one of those guys will probably win Ohio with like 54% of the vote, right? So 54% will vote for the Republican nominee. But that doesn't, you know, if 5% of those people or 6% of those 54% don't vote for a pro-life amendment or against a a pro-abortion one, then you lose. And so my point is, we're still not getting 100% of Republicans. And also, it's not, here's, there's certain things we need to remember. In in a presidential election, it's, it's a, it's a, we have a two-party system. And therefore, we, we make certain assumptions about that that aren't necessarily true. We're like, oh, half the country's Republican, half the country's Democrat. 
No, that's that's not true. Half the country votes for the Republican candidate, half the party country votes for the Democratic candidate. But like, if you really look at it, you've got a core of like 35 to 38% who are conservative. You have another 25 to 28% who are liberal. And you've got like 30 some percent who are independent. And those guys break unevenly between the two parties. And whichever side they tend to support is the one that wins. And those independents are different than, uh, you take 100 of these independents, they're going to behave and act a different than 100 Republicans. So just because Donald Trump might, let's say he might even win in 2024, actually, I kind of think he will. That doesn't mean then, oh, then how come this is happening? What, what? It's a straight up vote. There are libertarians in the Republican Party coalition. There are people who just don't care about the issue that much. There are people who are not with us on this issue. I, you know, we had this. I got. I still keep the newspaper. Here we go. Oh, he has a prop. Supreme Court overturns Roe v. Wade. It's. It was a great and glorious day. It was good, but we have to remember that took almost fifty years. That was six months shy of fifty years to get that. When Roe v. Wade gets handed down, until we overturn it, that's five decades where the American people are, t- are told as a, you know, at each generation coming up that if you don't want it, you know, a baby, you can just get rid of it. And that is, the law is a teacher, unfortunately. It just is. And you have a situation where then that allows a kind of culture of promiscuity to flourish, unfortunately, kind of like weeds. And you have a situation where people just expect the ability to have recreational, the quotes, you know, safe sex, whatever. And what's going to happen? People are going to be more reckless with their sex. They're going to have children more than they expect, even if they're on birth control. And they're like, well, wait a minute now. You're going to sentence this woman to 18 years of raising a child because- You're going to force her to be a mother. Right. Right. So you're pointing, so you're pointing towards culture- as your reason for such a big gap. Absolutely. Like the culture of abortion is just so ingrained at this point that... And not just the culture of abortion, but the whole sexual revolution, like the whole culture of permissiveness and we create our own values and me and my truth. It's this, it's an entire thing. And I want to really narrow in, the numbers aren't in yet, but I'd like to narrow in on the battle within the Catholic Church here in Ohio, or there in Ohio. Yes. That... It is, it's undeniable that Catholics who, you know, as a block, this should have been so inimical to everything that Catholics in Ohio believe and stand for, that it, it should have just been a no. But Catholics voted for this. The sexual, what Josh is talking about has as much infected the Catholic Church as it has the general American culture. If every Catholic voted no, we would have won. This would not have passed, right? And, this would not so, have Tom, I was talking to you earlier and you're like, well, there's a lot of bishops and priests that were that were really doing good a good job here of telling their flocks you got to vote no. And there were no. okay. there were heroes, right? There were. Yes, but I knew some of them. <laughs> the last three months, we have heard bishops and priests in Ohio speak loudly about issue one and how it needs to be stopped, and we ultimately failed. But my point is, three months of catechesis on this don't make up for a loss of five decades. And I'm not calling 100%. out I'm yeah. not calling out just Ohio, okay? But the simple fact of the matter is, since the pill was introduced, you know, in 1960, we've had, you know, the sexual revolution just burst onto the scene. 
It has been a true revolution, upending everything, every institution from marriage, uh, dating, uh, men and women, the battle of the sexes, all this stuff, every facet of human life, employment, everything, it has touched everything. And it has been a Kids. vast disaster. The biggest losers of the sexual revolution are children. You're right. I agree with that. Um, you know, pornography, all this stuff. Like, and you think to yourself, you cannot, as priests and bishops, only talk about this kind of stuff in the seven to 12 weeks before an election. It just doesn't work. You can't be surprised. It's like, it's like coming into a field hospital and saying, oh, things are going bad now. Like, uh, let me get to work. It's like, dude, it's like somebody's 400 pounds. Like, oh gosh, you know, you need to- Completely agree. Completely agree. But we did, if anything, we did see a pretty encouraging poll about how the orthodoxy of young priests here. That's so right. That's I do right. see the wind shifting. I don't, I don't think like if you go back to the 60s, how many priests identify as like progressive or liberal in terms of their theology? Uh, overwhelming. It was overwhelming majority. That is now an overwhelming minority. Most young priests are considered orthodox. But I just want to, I, I just, I still got to hammer this, Tom, because I, I was, I was 35 years old before I ever heard a priest and Sunday mass talk about abortion. I, but I do want to also say not to, not to point out our age gap here, but I have actually heard quite a bit, and maybe this is just it's the starting to I change, right? It's starting to change significantly, and right. and to your point, it's going to take a long time. It's going to take a long, long march through culture, essentially long march through the church, long march through whatever, to actually get back to significant change here. But I just think that, like me and so many other people, after hearing all the rah rah rah, you know, let's protect Ohio, just to get pummeled like this. Right. One thing, another question I have like for you and that I've seen talked about is now, of course, all the moderate Republicans are like, we need to completely drop abortion. It's not a winning issue. All it does is motivate the other side. Uh, what would you have to say back to people hearing that message right well, now? Well, first of all, I think it's actually factually wrong. Like it only motivates the other side. I mean, it, what they're getting at is that a certain block of voters, uh, single women are exceptionally motivated on abortion and the percentage they're, they're. They get pro-abortion, just to be clear. Yes, yeah. yes. Single women are yeah. super pro-abortion. Not all of them, of course, so don't be offended. I'm just saying, you look at the numbers, and ab abortion messaging gets them to vote in higher numbers than they totally normally would. And so Republicans are like, this is killing us. It's like, well, okay. But it, it, you know, it is not helpful. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you say, gee, 80% of the part, our party is pro-life and it, it's their number one issue therefore we should abandon it like um no however it should make us think twice about our approach on things our strategy so for 49 years we fought and we fought and we fought for the ability to actually pass any kind of pro-life law of meaningful consequence the finally so 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, 2010s, finally the court says, okay, fine, we will allow you the right to actually try to convince your fellow citizens to pass a pro-life law. Now, just we finally won that argument. That didn't necessarily mean that everyone was going to be on board with it. And so you, you, you debate a law here, let's say in Ohio and in Florida, and you say, well, these, these are Republican states. And the legislatures and governors in both these states are Republican. Therefore, 
why don't we do the maximum amount we can do and just pass the heartbeat bill? I, I loved it. I'm happy for it. I'm good. But I said, you have to be careful because you could get a little bit over your skis. We've had 50 years where almost 49 years where you could do whatever you wanted to with this, get rid of this baby to, to murder the baby. And then you're going to say now six weeks. And so that's why some people on the program are like, well, why don't we start with trying to say, you know, maybe 15 weeks or something like that. Oh, you're compromising. You don't believe it. It's like, or viability. Right, right. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's why when a few months ago, when Trump was attacking DeSantis for being in favor of the heartbeat bill, I'm like, I actually like DeSantis for having the courage to go for it. But yeah, uh, I, I understood what Trump was getting at, that there might be a backlash. And the pro boards looked at what happened in Ohio. And they're like, let's go for it. Let's try to get an amendment on the ballot in Florida now. And voters might be like, yeah, gosh, six weeks, that's kind of crazy. So they might vote yes in 2024. And so we might get a situation where uh, Florida gets abortion for all nine months now. So I'm not, I'm not trying to blame anybody. I'm just trying to say just because you won the ability to pass something doesn't mean you've won the argument. You still need to actually go out and say, let's try a new thing right. here. Let's try a culture of life. <laughs> To be clear, though, that is a direct application of what happened in Ohio, right? Ohio passed a, a six-week bill pretty much almost immediately blocked. after Roe v. Wade. It was Wade, blocked, and but they passed it, see... and the parole board's like, six weeks, this is crazy. Yeah, and then so they, they came up with the amendment, issue one amendment. It was tried to, We tried to stop it a while back to increase the threshold to make it happen, and now we officially have an amendment for abortion in Ohio. Right. So just to make clear for the audience, like this is a very real practical application right. of what you talked about happening in Florida. It just happened in Ohio. They see the success. They're probably going to move on other places. Well, and I think I just want to add in too the other factor that to speak to the cultural buy-in that we were talking about, there's also the financial factor is that we were radically outspent and we consistently I, are. I don't like this and argument. it matters. Uh, a little Ooh, bit. Yeah, you know, like the spending <laughs> a little argument. Bit. I like wait, it. Wait, wait, let, let, let Erica finish the full argument and then you can try to okay. destroy it. Let me try. <laughs> All right, destroy it, Josh. <laughs> no, I just, I want to point it out that the fact that the money is on the side of the culture of death is a product of the fact that the left made that long march through the institutions that we didn't make, that the Republicans have shied away from, and that in order to take this back and to get the upper hand, including financial upper hand, we've got to start our long slog through the, through the institutions. I mean, obviously, because you know they, we've had abortion throughout the whole country and including, obviously, Ohio. And in the process of aborting it, the, industry, the abortion industry has money. They get money off of the, the killing of babies and they use that money to put ads on TV that are total baloney, like trying to equate miscarriage as if a, a, abortion are the same. And you're like, oh my gosh, these are like so obviously provable lies. It's not even like, it's not even a hard- But it's convincing. And I was well, we were talking about this. Is it convincing or is it that the people are just looking for an excuse to vote the way they already feel in their own hearts? That's kind of what I'm getting at. Like, that's what I'm worried about. Like, people are like, yeah, it's just like a miscarriage. Give me a break. Like, really? Like, let's actually walk through this argument. And the logic of the argument won't matter because in their heart, they're like, they still think they need abortion because we have this pornified culture that's crazy. And, you know, people just having sex all the time. And they're like, well, with, you know, strangers and stuff like that. And they're like, well, we need, quote, quote, need abortion so i here's where money comes into that though and you and we all know this because we have an amazing marketing team 
that the the messaging of abortion and miscarriage are the same. So we can't chip away at that messaging or get ahead of that messaging, which it, which maybe maybe you're right. Maybe it's not convincing. It's just a, a crutch for people who want to approve abortion right. anyway. Or maybe there are actually women who are like, oh my gosh, I had a miscarriage and I got to have a DNC and it saved my life. And I can't deny that to other women. And, you know, maybe there is something in that. And, um, but the, the, where the money comes in is that you, it means more impressions. It means more messaging in front of people's eyes. And that weight of the, of having more resources at your disposal as a campaign for initiatives like issue one, it really does make a real time difference. I mean, there are differences. I get it. But like, I just, I guess my point would be like, if a billionaire came to the pro-life side and said, let's, let's just carpet bomb all the TV, radio ads, internet ads, and it's not enough and push no, back at this there. lie of miscarriage equals an abortion, whatever. And then, you know, what? maybe it would have moved the needle a couple of points. I mean, I'm not saying it's, it wouldn't have mattered, but I'm just saying, like, I feel like for so many people, like, it's not a dollars and cents question only. It really is. It, it, I, it's hard to come up with a proper analogy, but, like, people are living through just a sex-saturated culture, sexual revolution run amok all throughout the landscape and then you're like oh yeah and by the way you're not supposed to support the baby and people are like wait what like they've just they're so in this culture of death sexual revolution mindset that they can't it's like what i don't i don't get it okay so so then my question which i feel like needs to be asked here then is like we mentioned if a billionaire comes on he says money's not an object i'll spend what i need to spend to get what we need places are you saying that there's no strategy from a pro-life side that would be effective enough with all the money to stop it. It's so culturally ingrained right now that there's just no nothing that anyone can do, even with any amount of money and the smartest strategy minds out well, there. Well, I'm not saying that not, either. Not next year. Not next year. Well, I don't think there is. It's going to be tough. I think in 10 what, years. What, what you would need. Okay. So let's say Florida's going to have <laughs> it on the ballot in, in, in a one year from now, right? Because that might be. Yes, there might be as are. many as 11 states. I do think- yep. You know, you do have to say, you have to sort of like attack the the premise of why abortion is considered to be a need. And there are voters who are like, I would never do it myself, but I I wouldn't want to prevent someone else who might need it to be able to get it. They feel like they're being compassionate. It's like, dude, you're not. Right. And so I feel like we need to explain how a legal abortion is exploitative of women and allows like this bro culture to flourish where men can just use women like their tissues and throw them away. Like that's like, that's at the heart of what this is. You know, men being able to use women as objects and use them. And when they're done with them, it's your fault. It's your problem. Your thing. They're leaning into this whole individualism stuff. Like, oh, it's your baby. It's your your body. Your your problem, not my problem. Exactly. And I think your until body, we problem. we go into that, we're we're still going to run into problems. Some people are like, oh, but people just need to know it's a baby. Like they've shown people ultrasound photos, and they've shown them photos of babies being murdered, and like, look, it's a baby. And people are like, ah, you're a jerk for showing me what I know. And it doesn't change the, their minds. I at least don't think so. I would love to be proven wrong on that. I think ultimately you need to say, wait a minute. Abortion is considered necessary because we've 
had this pornified culture that's fueled a lot of reckless sex. And once you get to that culture where people are having so much reckless sex, it seems so arbitrary and crazy to say, and wait, I can't have an abortion when an accident happens? The problem Josh, is we have jet fuel. I don't power. I don't think that's sex saturated culture. Yeah, don't you think we have tried this like abortion hurts women thing for so long though? Because I mean, feminists for a little life, bit. They started in the nineties a little bit. I mean, that's been like I students don't. for life leans into that. Feminists for life. The it kind of reminds me of like old church ladies shaming people for like the culture that they live in. Basically, like we, it's all become implicit that we live in this pornified free sex culture and so when someone comes at them like yeah, yeah, yeah you should stop doing that you should stop doing that yeah. it hurts women they're it's prudes like, just that don't like fun. Old people shame yeah yeah yeah, yeah. because here's the th- here's here's the hammer from the other side and i think this worked in the kentucky governor election which uh the republican challenger lost uh, by a lot uh the ad that was used was a they brought a young girl on and they said that this guy, Cameron, who was running against uh, Bashar, uh, he supports something that made a 12-year-old have to travel from Ohio to Indiana to get an abortion after being raped by a stepfather. Sorry to be graphic. But that's what was in the ad. Right. And guess what? I bet that was effective. I think people saw that. They're like, this law that, that the guy's advocating for would make my 10-year-old daughter not be able to have to carry to term a rapist child. That's a... F- effective messaging i don't see anything as effective even close to that effective used on the other side if anything it was just generalized parental rights uh it wasn't it wasn't specific enough i was like we need to and i think the worse the problem gets the easier it's going to be but in the law that was just amended in ohio you can have a minor basically transition without any of your consent or knowledge your kid what if we were pulling ads of like your child uh, committing suicide because they transitioned or were given drugs that don't belong in their body and they now are miserable, potentially have killed themselves. I mean, we've even done stuff with abortion too, where like someone was forced to do abortion, abortion without parents' knowledge, took their own life. Like this, this is, we need to make it more personal for parents specifically. I don't think going after like young kids for promiscuity is like the right answer is like, okay, yeah, Tom, maybe we don't scold people. We don't like, we're not prudes and we wag our finger. I'm not saying that. But we still need to have, I think, an articulation of what is it, why is it, what do you Catholics really believe? I, I have answers for this because, oh. I, again, I'm the, I'm the youth on this podcast. Erica has been accused of being Gen Z. <laughs> uh, we'll let you guys run with whatever you think on that. But I am certified birth certificate Gen Z. Like, one, I think that my generation is, is completely rejecting a lot of the, uh, assumptions of like this is how life should be because they're miserable um everything from the drugs that people are being put on to the food that we eat to the entertainment we consume to the government we see functioning right now all we see are just areas where we're getting screwed Uh, affordability uh, of housing inflation education being out of control like so many things are just terrible and i think we're starting to see now especially some pain points from the sexual revolution when it comes to gender and sex I mean, there is, I mean, sex, basically, uh, sex change surgeries, all that. I think we've seen enough negatives that we're already looking for alternatives. And so the big thing, and Bishop Aaron was big on this, the door of beauty is so important to people. If we are building beautiful communities centered around 
obviously the Eucharist as the center, but like with strong leaders and welcoming communities where you can come worship uh, truly, you see a beautiful church that you're coming to, the people in it are committed and uh, are raising big families with love. Like that, I think is, that's why you're seeing this like revert to tradition. Everyone's like, why are people obsessed with the Latin mass now? Because they're seeing like crappy green carpet churches with a priest playing ukulele <laughs> and that attracts no one. There's no beauty there. It's empty. What's wrong with the I, it's ukulele? not even just that there's it's no beauty, it's that there's no em- it's just empty. It's like it's devoid of it's anything. Like, it's, it's like, like a th- social club that means nothing. It's like thinking you're gonna eat some fruit, you grab a, a a piece of fruit from a bowl and you take a bite and it's just like dust. There's nothing there. It's emptiness. So th- this is what I'm getting at when it comes to like we're debating now as a society whether or not we should allow children in public libraries to see pornography. Like, if that isn't a sign of a sick culture, like, what do you need? Like, I, I mean, you look at the books and, you, and you're like, oh my gosh, I, I wouldn't want a 20-year-old to see this, let alone a, a seven-year-old. Well, the school boards won't listen to them be read aloud because they're so foul. Right. And right. So They'll I, cut off the mics. And <clears> so <throat> I would like to say, like, yes, we have a lot of work to do. And I think just because we're in a situation where everyone's crazy with their pronouns and same-sex marriage is now the law of the land by way of Congress, it wasn't just a court ruling, we, we enacted it into law last year, we still have to just say, don't just argue this question of abortion. We need to have a greater argument. And I think, like, I just love this quote I ran across last week by Louise Perry. I don't even know who she is. Mm. But it was... She's great. It was a dynamo quote. She said, traditions are experiments that worked. That that was so brilliant. Traditions are experiments that worked. She, she added, what we have found, having rejected the sexual norms of the past, is that they were there for a reason. Like, Brilliant. You know, so it's like you want to jettison generations of advice, of lessons learned the hard way, the the, the school of hard knocks. You want to throw that all out the window because we're different. That's what the baby boomer generation, I love you guys. That's what you did, though. You're like, we're going to go our own way. Let me tell you something. I, I was talking about this just to my daughter uh, the other day. I said, you have to understand, like, the culture that we live in. So... My parents were of the baby boomer generation, and I'm again, I'm I'm Gen X. I'm not trying to take a crap on this, okay? I'm just trying to explain the situation. My mom had so many more opportunities than women older than her did, and she had so fewer opportunities than even her younger sisters. So she's on the cusp of this big change where women are able to participate more in the workforce, right? And I don't want to get into all that argument, okay? But... <laughs> My mom and my dad were right there in the cusp of the baby boomer generation. And, th- and their whole thought was, you know, as Fleetwood Mac would say, go your own way, right? Wow. Right? It's beautiful. And so I, as a 17-year-old, was like asking them for life advice. Like, you know, what is it like to go dating? And what kind of college should I go to? And what, what should I consider as a career? And my mom and my dad, I love them. But they're like, whatever you want, honey. Okay, well, yes, thank you, but you've been observing me for 17 years, (laughs) and you can figure out, like, kind of what makes me tick, and sometimes humans have a capacity for self-deception, so I'm asking you for advice. You've learned some things along the way about what it's like to to go to school, 
and to get a job and to like meet the opposite sex and try to work your way, fumble your way through life. Help me out. And they're like, whatever you want, hon, chart your own path. It's like, this drove me crazy. It's like, wait a minute now. Isn't the ge- isn't the younger generation supposed to go to the, their parents, people who, I don't know, love them and know them to ask for advice? And yet that it's this whole cultural, like, do whatever you want to do. Chart, follow your dreams. I'm so sick and tired of- What'd you tell your daughter? I, did, I tell my daughter, like- to follow your dreams is the biggest canard I've ever heard of my life. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think I think Rusty Reno over at First Things really put the, you know, he focused in on the key issue, the missing point here is that people of, yeah, Gen X, millennials, the, the missing thing was the, the joy and the happiness that comes from having a home and a place of stability in your life. But the only way we can provide that for our children, I mean, and we, we were the generation where over, you know, we first saw that culture of divorce too yep, among broken our homes, parents. Right. And it was devastating. So we lost our home. We lost our national home now. We're not even proud of our national home anymore. Right. And when he say, and, and of course he comes back and this isn't like, I don't want to get all mushy or anything, but he says the missing ingredient is a robust understanding of love. Not love like, oh, I feel love for my handsome prince. Charming, you showed up and he fulfills me. You complete me, Jerry Maguire. Like all of that. It's not that. It's love is the sacrificial giving of yourself to others. And talk about countercultural messaging there, but also talk about the key to creating a stable home from which you can grow to be the person that you were made to be. Um, And that's that's the missing piece in our culture right now. And that's what beauty provides, right? Beauty and truth and goodness provide people with the strength to give of themselves, to build something beautiful, not for themselves, but for their children and their children's children. Um, we've talked about that a lot is that yeah. looking forward. And again, what's the answer to eventually winning Ohio ballot initiatives like that is to go home and love your family, Jesus. raise good kids. Yeah, well, Jesus, of course, but like as a part of part of that equation, what you're saying is like, yeah, raise a household full of love and educate your children well. Mm-hmm. It, the, because the people that are are voting for this, the the hardliners, they're not having kids. They're not they're they're not having a lot of them, and they're probably not talking to them in the same way that like that Josh uh, Catholic is tradition to Annie, would right. be talking. Yeah, exactly <laughs> right. Like there is a long play here. The long play is raise a good family, go home and do that every day. And it's a, it's a hard, it's much harder in a lot of ways than just casting a ballot November 4th. It, it requires a lot of prayer, a lot of work, a lot of sweat, a lot of tears. Like that is the end answer to all this. And maybe that's what, not a lot of political shows are going to give you that as like the, the final answer is like, go home and love your family. What the mother Teresa quote, but I do see encouraging things like again to be the youth youth uh, answer here. Like, I think time that parents are spending with their kids is way up record numbers. Like I was, I remember I was even golfing with uh, John Sherman here. He works on the team, and he was. We were out golfing, and I have a young son at home, and he's like, "Yeah, people used to just golf all the time. Like I would work well, and other jobs. Like people would golf all the time." And it was a way to get out of their house and they never spent any, because that wasn't even expected that they would spend time with their kids. Right. And I I mean, of course I was golfing in the time, but that was kind of surprising to me. I'm like, yeah, I had to like shift them some things around to like get out, get out and do this. And like, I enjoyed it. I spent a lot of good time with them. But 
he's like, yeah, it actually is a really good thing. I see a lot of young people like being more intentional, spending more time with their family. Uh, that's more of an expectation. Yeah. And I think that's a really positive, that's a positive trend. I see, I think the return to tradition, uh, in terms of liturgy, but then also American tradition as well, uh, has been encouraging. So I'm not, I'm actually pretty hopeful. I think that a lot of the negatives from what you guys often talk about on this podcast of like earlier generations have been seen and noted by people my age and younger. All right. So today we have a new Edify ebook for you. Uh, the ebook features essays, among others, from an FBI whistleblower, Kyle Serafin, First Things editor, Rusty Reno, and pro-life, pro-life activist, Mark Hauk. You can download this for free. Visit catholicvote.org. Highly recommend. It's a great, great book. All right, we move on now to the Twilight Zone. Erica, you are up first. All right, sexual revolution theme continues here. We saw this in full force this week. Rolling Stone, uh, of course, they, they portrayed this as they bravely uncovered, unearthed a video from years past of Speaker Mike Johnson giving a talk, uh, giving a, a promo speech at a fundraiser for Covenant Eyes which is a uh, filter that you can put on your phones, on all your electronic devices that are connected to the internet to view, to, to have accountability partners for, for porn and for bad websites that hurt people, especially children. So Speaker Johnson had mentioned that he and his 17-year-old son, they have the covenant eyes on their devices at home and that their accountability partners in this talk where he was helping out covenant eyes. Rolling Stone's headline... Here it is. So can you, this is a can you spot the bias game? Mike Johnson admits he and his son monitor each other's porn intake in resurfaced videos. I mean, they're basically implying throughout the article he's a pervert. They're like, oh, a father talking to his son about how the bad effects of porn and then helping each other to not fall into that addiction is so creepy and just they're 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 deciding to say obviously they all look at porn like everyone does and therefore yeah. they're creepy for sharing what they do like what what do you watch what do I watch like no 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 that's not at all what they were saying what they said so, what yeah what what speaker Johnson was saying is he and his son are holding each other accountable make sure they don't go into that rabbit hole they don't hole. watch porn yeah right so i think this whole thing it showed a lot more about the editorial staff and the writers at Rolling Stone than anything well, they're else. They're terrified of Mike, jo- jo- uh, Mike Johnson. Well, he's so scary because he's just like a nice guy. But you, they you know, will torch them with whatever lies they can. That's what it says. That's right. They're, and just, yeah, it was ridiculous. And then, of course, like you get all of the reactions on. My favorite response was someone said on top of it, this sounds like grooming. <laughs> and then uh, the best response I saw to that one was, and just like that, Democrats cared about minors viewing porn. Well, and it's also worth pointing out that. this is Rolling Stone that had to pay $1.65 million mm. to a fraternity at the University of Virginia for their fake rape story. Yeah. So they're not exactly. Ew. Yeah. The Rolling Stone, the arbiters of morality. Yeah. And just, yeah, right. I'm guessing that our viewers and <laughs> listeners are not Rolling Stone subscribers, but just you got to know what tune the devil's playing, and it is nasty. So there you have it. Good twad zone. That was such a bizarre thing to watch unfold. Josh. Well, I I mean, it dovetails, unfortunately, with that. I mean, it didn't happen just recently, but what happened recently was that uh, very popular actor, Matthew Perry, you know, the guy who was on Friends forever, and he passed away. And actually, I 
I don't want to be bad about this. Like I'm, I'm happy about in some ways that he seemed to have come to terms and, and conquered his addiction, you know? So that's good. Uh, maybe made final peace with the Lord or whatever, but like, so what happens on social media when a celebrity dies, people just start sharing all these other things about them and stuff like that. And like one thing that got shared, I'm like looking through, I'm like, what in the world? What? So, so Matthew Perry's on like Conan O'Brien, this is 2015. And I see this video this week because again, he just, you know, he passed away. And he's sharing this story about how he's at home alone and you know how he, he's got a big mansion and you've got you know, big TV and speakers and everything. And he's talking, this is his story, which, yeah, it's kind of hilarious in a way, but it's super gross and tragic. He's talking about how he's deciding he's just going to watch pornography. And there's interesting truths in it because he says at one point, then, you know, when you're done and then, you're, you know, you're so excited and anticipated and you watch it and then you're done, you're like, oh my gosh, this is horrible. And you try there's that shame you have, like even he's admitting it, like, yeah, because you're totally lusting over two people that you don't even know or having sex on TV. And and then his the funny part of his story is that the speakers were still uh, uh, set up from the previous time he's watching it. So it was blasting in the neighborhood. People, his neighbors are hearing like, what in the world? And so, oh, yikes. it was like, and he's making fun of himself. Like, can you imagine what an idiot I am and how embarrassing this is? And everyone's laughing in the audience. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, I would be so mortified. I can't believe we live in a culture where people would actually go on national television and say, oh my gosh, can you believe this? I was totally watching porn, you know, no big deal, whatever. Right. And my speakers are blanking through the neighborhood. And everyone's like, oh my gosh. And it's funny. And it's just like, ha it's ha ha, tragic. hilarious. And it's like, yeah. Dude, no one would have admitted in 1985 or 1975, they would never have gone on Johnny Curse and said, yeah, dude, I was totally watching porn and like it was blaring through my whole neighborhood. Yeah. People would have been mortified. Right. Bring back public shame. There's no sense of shame. Yeah, like the Friends show, I think for me, I watched a couple episodes when I was in high school because everyone was watching it. Like people were, you tape it on the VHS and you like share it with your friends and stuff. Anyway, but it was like, totally lame i watched maybe a couple episodes and i remember even as a young teenager just my first reaction being all right this is we're laughing at jokes that aren't funny because they were sexual jokes they were about porn they're about hurting each other it's about tearing each other down verbally and i'm like okay like it's presented so so it's so slick it, they're all so beautiful they they seem like they have it all but it's not, this shouldn't be funny. This shouldn't be like what we're reacting to. And I don't want to be church lady. You're like prudish or scolding, but there was this revulsion to it. And I mean, I, I pray, I pray Matthew Perry has found peace and healing and wholeness and um, very much so. But like you said, Josh, yeah, and we the pray fact for him, that you know. this was a joke. Yeah. That this man is sitting there alone in his huge mansion. He's one of the most famous guys in the world. One of the richest men in Hollywood. And he's just... He's just jerking off. Like, you're like, that is yeah, miserable. Right, right. We shouldn't be laughing yeah. at that. Um, so, yeah, pray for his soul. Pray for Sabrina Carpenter to bring this full circle, right. too. Like, all of these yeah. people caught up in this um, fame, power, lust trifecta there. And, um, yeah, no, a lot and of these grace. are the people <laughs> who are writing our songs. These are the people who are acting out the stories that we watch. And we wonder why yeah. we're mm -hmm. in the mess that we're in. Right. Well, it kind of reminds me, too, of, like, Colbert had... 
Buttigieg on his show. And it, it, it felt very scripted and it felt like they're setting the narrative. But again, they're talking about how, how does it feel to work with a guy who's on record saying Mike Johnson, about how right. gay marriage Speaking is. Mike yeah, Mike Johnson, who is the Speaker of the House, is on record saying that gay marriage is a scourge on society, basically. No, obviously knowing that Pete Buttigieg lives an openly gay life. And then he gets to have the opportunity to be the the calm hero saying, well, you know, I would just invite him over and I would just show him how much love is in our house. And then maybe, you know, we can talk or whatever. It's like, oh, my gosh. It was just such a slick scripted. But again, it's like they're setting the narrative. Mm -hmm. If you would have brought Mike Johnson on and talked about how Pete Buttigieg is on record saying that he hates these Christian nationalists that are, uh, you know, ruining the country. It's like, well, we'd have a different Stephen conversation. Colbert, Catholic. Um, Thanks a lot, buddy. Yeah. Oh, geez. Zero He's boys, with Father, boys with Father James Martin. Wasn't Father James Martin the chaplain yes, of the show? Yes, it was. Cold Bear Report. Yeah. His chaplain was. Yeah, that was great. Oh. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, Birds uh, of a feather. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I have a last, last minute entry. So uh, people may be familiar with Mr. Beast. Uh, he's the largest YouTuber, I think, of all time. His audience is bigger than most national television syndicates. So he did a video recently where he was able to provide a clean drinking water to 500,000 people in Kenya. Uh, he was building uh, wells there for the people. Of course, like everything he does, very positive, high fives everywhere. People seemed really uh, fired up and everyone just kind of universally lauding this as just a really awesome example to where, you know, he can put make great content, but also really benefit people who are in need of clean drinking water. Well, um, you know, expected backlash from some activists uh so here's a yahoo news headline uh while american youtuber mr b's goal was to provide clean drinking water to for 500,000 people activists say his actions shamed the kenyan government and helped perpetuate the stereotype that africa is quote dependent on handouts um yeah uh, I don't think the mothers of the children with the safe drinking water today because of what he did are like, oh my gosh. If your people don't have clean drinking water, or someone's failing. Yeah, um, exactly. And maybe it's not Mr. Beast's fault that someone's failing there. And he already got ahead of this because he knows how this goes because he's done a lot of philanthropy this time. He said, I already know I'm going to get canceled because I uploaded a video helping people and to be 100% clear, I don't care. I always... I'm always going to use my channel to help people and try to inspire my audience to do the same <laughs> heart emoji. But my favorite was uh, a uh, from Sarah Kaba Jones, founder and CEO of Face Africa, uh, this nonprofit. She said she was working to improve water infrastructure and sanitation in sub-Saharan Af Africa, told CNN, I've been doing this for 15 years and we've been struggling to continue the work because of funding, awareness and advocacy all take work. And then she added, overnight, this person comes along who happens to be a white male figure with a huge platform, and all of a sudden, he gets all the attention. It's kind of frustrating, and it is also understanding the nature of how the world is. With <laughs> uh, so you got some egos at play here that their nonprofit wasn't able to accomplish what Mr. Beast did in uh, a couple of and days. And of course, she had like, to drop um, his race and like, white I male. mean, like, oh. Yeah. Just too bad that people happy. just couldn't be happy. I know. Yeah, couldn't just be happy on. for providing clean drink water to all the African kids. Um, I'm pretty sure the little African kids don't care what color Mr. Beast is. For Mr. Beast's next trick, maybe he should like revamp San Francisco. Mm -hmm. It seems like he has the money. So, maybe he should just clean the streets of drugs and make people not homeless 
And there'd be people pissed about that too, by the way. People would be mad. That if video you did that. where Matt Walsh went to people in Africa and talked to them about transitioning yeah. sex. What and, is a woman? Like, yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. They're all they crazy. They look at him like, uh, So it would have been great if you had a film crew like monitor Mr. Beast giving out this water and people were like, is, isn't it racist that this man's giving you water to drink? And they'd be like, <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Dude, I won't get cholera like, just, tonight. I'm really excited. Like, I'm just okay, fired up on water. Is. Yeah. Yeah. Shout, shout out Mr. Beast, though. Yeah. It's kind of like, I, I'm not it's endorsing everything he does, but good us. on the water. Yeah. Good for you. Right. But uh, I, that almost annoys me how we have to always say, well, I don't endorse everything he does. Shouldn't that just be implied at this point? He did something good. And he didn't care about the backlash. He knew that was going to come. Shouldn't that be all? I know, of us? but you don't get you don't you never get viewer mail. <laughs> yeah, but then I respond, "That's dumb." Of course, we don't. Uh, like anytime you say one person does something good, that's what the left does all the time. They like tie you to all of the actions, past actions of someone else, and shame you. And yet they never care that the person that they just elected to office was hanging out with the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence two days ago. They they don't care. They have no shame about you. that. So I'm starting to have got no shame you. as well. I got gotcha. you. Uh, we've been doing this now for. Over a year, um, when I put together the little move, the video of us moving over, I was kind of like in my feels a little bit. It's been, it's been a good a year. We've done a lot eye. of diverse. We've done a lot of different episodes, and uh, I just the the magnitude of how much work I've personally put in this, and then also to work together with you guys. I think at most points with shows, they hit a certain point where the people doing it, especially if there's co-hosts, start to kind of get at each other's throats or want to tear each other apart. I'm happy to say I still like you guys. Hey! You guys are pretty great. <laughs> and what people have said to me, they're like, hey, you know, I like what you say on the podcast and especially what Erica says. And then they're like, but your backdrop and they're complaining this and like, you got to, <laughs> you got, you got some mess over here and clean it up. And I'm like, give me a break. This, I work in this office, people. This is a working office. Okay. <laughs> I work here. Okay. So sometimes it's a little messy. I'm not. A super polished, pretty Fox News, you know, guy or whatever with the perfect studio. We should do a subscriber, like subscriber count, and then we'll get Josh a makeover. That's like right. Josh's uh, makeover. Yeah. Oh, makeover. And we could we could record it. We can make a video. It'd be great. Ooh, I like that montage. All right, if we get to, if we get on this video, if we get a thousand subscribers off of this video alone, makeover. No, actually, that'll probably happen because we're moving over. <laughs> <laughs> I'm setting an intentionally low goal. Brilliant. <laughs> But yeah, anyway, uh, praying for you guys, uh, Our Lady Guadalupe, St. Fidelis, and St. Thomas More. Pray for us, and we will see you guys on the next episode. Take care.